Yeah, all right. So it's Odd's Place. Jackal's here. Jackal from Mandenberg, everybody. Um, and we're talking we're talking slasher theory and history. Like, think of the early part of this episode as sort of slasher 101. Uh, and then, then we're going to dabble in some advanced slasher theory and, and wild speculation later. Jackal, enlighten us. Uh, take us through the, the prehistory and evolution of the slasher. I would love to. So, humans like conflict, generally. Either simulated or real we i think it's it's something about us we we enjoy it's why in stories there has to be conflict even if there isn't any violence but for the longest time humans we have this pull toward some kind of conflict or resolution in the uh the entertainment that we either participate in or consume this technically could even go back to all the way to uh the coliseum and gladiatorial combat Either whether the violence is simulated or is actually happening, there is a pull that we have to to watching to watching like aestheticized violence, and this kind of has its roots in a lot of older like very very violent plays, um, particularly called uh, there was a French one called the Grand. Uh, Gugolm, um, which was, uh, it basically just like a hyper, like hyper violent play. Um, I can send, I'll send Josh a, uh, a, a, a screenshot of sort of one example of like the simulated violence that would be in this play, which probably for modern sensibilities isn't too violent. Um, but, uh, for the time in which the play came out, um, it was pretty jarring at least like for, for sensibilities at that time. And there's both this, there's always been this pull and push with that kind of violence. It's both seen as trashy, but also it, it lends itself to being high art, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm tracking. Yeah, this is, yeah, so it's like, it's a stage play, but there's, you know, it's a black and white photo of a guy getting his throat cut basically yeah and like the the level of violence like probably nowadays you would see something similar to this even on like network television right yeah no yeah yeah it's like this this wouldn't be out of place on a cop procedural like there's like on the more graphic side of a cop cop procedural but yeah it would not offend uh the bourgeois sensibility but it it did then it was right. controversial <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, course, I believe it. You know, yeah. it's, it's of course it's French, so there's that that why to push against sensibilities, um, but it was it was also popular. Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like it was so it was a high sort of a high and low thing. Exactly. Yeah. So you had like a, a pre pre haste code Hollywood had violent movies, not too disturbing or violent to us nowadays, but they existed. And then when the Hayes Code came in 1930, that's when a lot of that was put on the kibosh. Um, for those who don't know, the Hayes Code uh, was it was the Motion Picture Production Code or the Hayes Code was a way of internally uh, censoring movies so that the government didn't come in and do that. Um, the Hayes Code would then lead up to the uh, the MPAA, which we still have now, which is a less strict um, code than what existed then. 
Um, I mean, the, the Haste Code uh, had that you couldn't, you couldn't have, there wasn't supposed to be, uh, I mean, I could go for some of the stuff here it has. There's, you can't have miscegenation, you can't have white slavery, you can't have any interference of sex perversion, no illegal traffic in drugs, uh, you can't uh, ridicule clergy, um, uh, <laughs> like it's, it, it was uh, pretty restricted in, in some stuff. There was some stuff that we should rightfully restricted. Other stuff, however, was uh, was pretty pretty on the nose as to why they didn't want that in, in, in movies. Yeah, no no subversive themes. Like you can't have uh, like amoral, pro, you know, protagonists winning or anything. Like, you know, they just have to show consequences for violence. Um which is to say, like, good shit got made under it, but it was, like, a wildly overzealous, like, self-censorship. Like, that's why eventually it, ha- it was sort of phased out. As we sort of got... Once you get, like, to, like, the auteur era, that's of, of the quote-unquote auteur era of, of uh, filmmaking, the, the Hayes Code is not at all in effect. Um, I think... Uh, I don't actually know when the Hayes Code... Uh, it was... Okay, 54, 54. Oh, it ended in 54? Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Actually, wait. It was abandoned by the late 1960s and forced to have become impossible. <laughs> I like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think it, it hadn't been abolished, but like uh, like Rosemary's Baby gets cited as like an early post-Hayes Code film. Yeah, that movie could not have been made um, under the Hayes Code. But even then, like, it's it. there was a point where like a lot of sort of like these means of of like mass sort of censorship kind of start to not work because eventually you can kind of begin to ignore it at some point right yeah yeah because it it doesn't have the force of law and you know it's whatever the market dictates at the end of the day exactly yeah off mic i guess off off recording um (laughs) i was talking about herschel gordon lewis i mean you know that was that was the drive-in circuit. This is a guy from like Illinois who was shooting like nudie cuties in Florida, and then just you know had some success with it and decided, you know what I really want to do a gore film, and then he invented a genre, and it was just to like gross people out at drive-in movies in Chicago and Southern Illinois in like the early '60s. And then suddenly, it's a linchpin in film history. Right, yeah, but he, like, pro- you know, it's, like, shit like that, that that proves there's a market for it, and eventually, like, you know, Hollywood catches up. And then they produced a more the polished version of that. So, yeah, yeah, so it's wild. You have, like, the gore film in the earlier mid-60s and sort of the underground circuit, and then that sort of becomes a precedent, and, you know, I Which mean, that builds... becomes an... It's, it's part of the DNA. Exactly. And that builds to the eventual emergence of the slasher genre. So, like, you you had, there were, the, sort of, like, the elements of the, of the slasher genre, there were elements of it even in, like, like crime fiction, um, like, crime and horror fiction uh, was, there were elements of it that would, as as the this, this genre, this subgenre of horror was beginning to bubble and mature, you had elements in it from, there was a book called The Circular Staircase, which was adapted to a silent film called The Bat. It was about guests in a remote man- mansion being hunted down by a killer in a grotesque mask. That sounds like a slasher movie, right? Yeah. Um, man, you could even go back to, like, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. German yes. expressionism. Like, 
that's a creepy dude in makeup with a knife, you know, yep. the somnambulist <laughs> killing One folks. One could also argue that, like, mysteries, too, play into the origin of the slasher. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, whodunits, murderers, uh, Sherlock Holmes, for sure. Like, it's, like, crime fiction, I think, especially, is crime fiction and mystery fiction and whodunits play into the emergence, because this all goes into, like, forming the backbone DNA of the slasher genre. And the tropes that will begin to co- form, like, core... Uh, I, like they, they kind of form, like, the core DNA of, like, what defines a slasher as a slasher, which we will get to. Um, it, it makes sense as, as kind of leading you up to it. Hell yeah. So, you had, like, uh, you had, like, like, uh, like, haunted house movies with big imposing houses you had like crime fiction you had uh films where like uh there's like something anything where like there's this strange other that's menacing uh an innocent group of people or and also even i would argue the noir genre having that moral ambiguity and placing and sort of tying with the the mystery genre of is what you is the, is the story that you know the exact story was someone wronged uh, is like making the there be more ambiguity in a violent place. This all sort of builds into like what becomes the slasher genre. Another aspect of the slasher genre. Uh, there's a we probably will have time to get into it into this episode if Josh wants to have me out for a second one. I would love to talk about like women in the slasher genre. Oh, I mean, yeah, that. Yeah, that obviously deserves an entire episode in and of itself. There's, so, there's a whole essay on it, "Men, Women, and Chainsaws," which you should, everyone should go read if you haven't uh, read it. I mean, yeah, that's a a lot of a lot of early, um, or maybe not early, but a classic feminist film critique uh, centers on horror and the slasher genre. It's it's a bit it's sort of like it's a bit older, but I think that it's another aspect of the slasher genre which you kind of. It, the sort of like you kind of need to to have you need to know it a little bit to to sort of like understand how the genre got to where where it is now and why it does the things that it does um another aspect of, of the slasher genre is the revenge story um and revenge stories play a big role sort of like in books and in plays and in early films um an early example of a revenge story was the terror it was a pre-code uh 1920s movie about a maniac seeking revenge on a group of well-to-dos who had wronged him interesting so all of this is to say this is building up to also to mention agatha christie uh is a big influence of the slasher genre. Um, that kind of uh, like mystery, murder, uh, whodunits, all of that sort of builds to what will become sort of like a big core foundation of, of the slasher genre, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which uh, is basically forms, begins to form like the template of the horror, uh, not, not the horror, the slasher genre specifically. Um, it's based on a book uh, that takes its inspiration from uh, Ed Gein, who also has had a pretty big influence of the horror genre and specifically the slasher genre, because he's inspired two figures that will become pretty important to the slasher genre, 
um, Norman Bates and Leatherface. 100%. (laughs) Uh, So Psycho was released in 1960. It had, like, it may seem like like pedestrian to us now, but Psycho was a shocking movie, and people, like, people did not want to make it because they thought, we can't make this. This is too violent, too obscene. Um, The subject matter is too, like, we, we can't do this. Like, yeah, it's still chilling. It's a really good movie. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, especially oh, yeah, for yeah. the time. I mean, like, psychopathy wasn't a known quantity. Like, it was still a pretty new concept at the time. It was still, like, in its infancy of, of its understanding. I mean, the, it technically still is because the human brain is a fucking maze. But uh, at that time, it was still very early. Psycho had a very tremendous influence on the horror genre movies and the slasher genre uh core aspects of of it are that there is a killer there is what will become a uh like there's a mysterious killer hidden in the shadows the sort of template of of uh, like a like a final survivor um is is brought in with psycho and sort of like the like the slasher genre having themes of sort of like trying like some something like there being a mystery sort of encased around uh around the figure that is hunting you down and there also being tragedy and pathos of that figure um is seen in in, in psycho now there was a bunch of stuff that would come out from from Psycho, which I won't mention because eh, they're not they're like copycats. But it should mention that, like Psycho causes basically a a bunch of movies in this vein of like these psychological thrillers with killers in them come out, and then eventually along the way we get the giallo uh, genre ah uh, yes term. Uh, now, Josh, are you familiar with the, gi- the giallo genre? Uh, yes, I have. I have seen Suspiria at the very least, which is I think that's probably the most well-known giallo. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Movie. It's 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 the it's the basic, but yeah, I'm I'm aware of it as a genre, and it's it's something I've been meaning to explore for a very long time. So giallo uh, comes from the Italian word for yellow. It, it basically it emerged from cheap paperback uh, like crime thrillers that had like yellow covers because that was you know a cheap pigment to print and that would go on to basically like the giallo genre is another core pillar of sort of forming the slasher genre into what it is um there is (laughs) how do i fucking describe this like there's like it's it's a myth there's mystery there's this sort of like combination of horror and crime with intense violence, um, eroticism. Uh, there's a mysterious killer who is masked, um, whose identity is not revealed until the final act. Um, there's, it's a, it, I, I think that it can be said that Giallo is a predecessor of the slasher. It is before the slasher becomes sort of, becomes fully matured later on. And most Giallo uh, would follow in the 60s and like the, Sort of like through like the mid sixties, mid sixties, seventies. That's kind of where like Giallo would before the emergence of the slasher genre. That's where and like and it was coming from Italy specifically. And I will also send a, another another sort of a example to to Josh of a typical sort of like kind of what I mean by this is forming a 
like an underlying DNA for the slasher genre in the in uh, Mario Bava's uh, Blood and Black Lace, uh, oh, the okay. mass killer in that. Um, it should be noted that Giallo killers often use firearms or something like that in in their uh, in their acts of depravity, which is a kind of subversion with the slasher genre. Web firearms aren't really used a lot. There are exceptions to that, but generally, you don't really see a lot of guns in slashers, and when you do, they're not very effective. Right, yeah, yeah, they're not the the preferred weapon of, of the slasher protagonist. So, Josh, if you would like to, to describe this the, the picture that I just sent to you. Uh, yeah, it looks like Rorschach without the ink blots. It's it's a guy in a black trench coat, black fedora, and then just a, a cloth, like, opaque cloth mask. Yep. That is the, the typical giallo, giallo killer is masked in some kind of like like almost like noir swanky attire or sometimes yeah. not like sometimes they're in like regular clothing. Um, that's another thing is that uh, like at this early point, you don't have the outfit for the killer. You don't have this big sort of like defining like them being this this uh, almost like icon in of itself. Right, right. I mean, it's yeah, they're they're the goal is inconspicuousness exactly it's inc- and also fear it is an, a big aspect is obscuring features which humanize people because when we look to humanize someone's face we look at the eyes because the eyes are you know, the windows into the soul when you don't see that anything could be happening another example of sort of the, this sort of momentum to the slasher genre is the exploitation film the the grindhouse movie uh your your cannibals holocaust Yep, your your cannibal holocausts, your your your, your cannibal movies, your uh, like yeah, I know it, it would have been more the 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 late sixties, early seventies variety. I know cannibal holocaust like postdates the emergence of the slasher, but like the like that kind of like these are cheap, bloody, not at all like tasteful movies that are just often they're based on urban legends. Like there is one which is called Fright from 1971 it's about the baby sister babysitter and the man upstairs urban legend uh which is like it's it's a it's a violent uh cheap movie which was made for drive-ins but uh like there's like the the drive it cannot be overestimated the how much the drive-ins played into the, the horror genre as a whole and letting it sort of like have that that comeback because it allowed it and also not just horror movies but also just sort of like indie movies in general it allowed for you to like to get out sort of like the studio system and show and just you you could just like hey i got this movie you can charge people this amount of money here yeah uh man i don't think people really understand the the sort of materiality uh at the core of film distribution or just you know it used to be about lugging physical reels of film and these were things that had to be like developed and then there were a bunch of different places that would play it if you had it like it was film now it's just content it's just data like we don't really it's it's not like an object or an artifact so much anymore and uh a haunting fact of the world is like you know because it's film that needs to be developed like you have to pay a lab to develop it and so there's just a ton of film like stuck in development labs that nobody could pay for there are more movies that haven't been released than have ever been released 
and then like most of the movies that have been released have been lost basically since the dawn of the medium of the meat like the amount of films that just are are just gone forever we cannot count them it's so many like yeah because i think that we're a bit the digital plat like sort of digital media has spoiled us in having this long-term preservation because before it was work to make sure that these things were preserved and before like for a lot of stuff early on you didn't preserve this stuff because it wasn't worth anything like you didn't preserve your ground like a grindhouse horror movie no no that was that was just like something you bought to like get a bunch of money one weekend and then played a few more times and then threw in the closet like yep and you just not think about it again uh it should be pointed that like negative film like film critics would watch these movies and think oh these are awful and that would be the drive of people going to go see them like oh it's a bad movie that's where like that also sort of comes from like it's this schlocky violent mess like there were there was a market for people for just like hey i just want to see gore i just want to see like a like gore and that's it yeah i want a movie that just gets to the good parts you know it's uh pornography basically it, it, it can't there is an aspect of like of of the yeah, I'm not even trying to use that in a pejorative sense. Like, I mean, there's there's an obvious utility and jouissance to pornography. Like, I think there that is. gets like I get yeah. I mean, it gets thrown around as a bad word all the time. But like, I I think there's uh, anyway. There's something. I think that there's a science as to why it is. It there is sort of like a lull to it. Um, and uh, so you had the Grindhouse movie. And the the Grindhouse movie and the establishment of the drive-ins. This is also where, like, not a slasher movie, but a horror movie, uh, Night of the Living Dead, probably would not be a success without the drive-in. It's that word of mouth that spread it to be basically one of the most acclaimed movies of all time. Yep. So you ha- you have uh, all these factors going in, and uh, sort of like the 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 beginning sort of formations of the slasher genre as we know it are in two movies that before we get to the movie that will be sort of like the main the main text for this episode um that this is also like prelude to is black christmas and the texas chainsaw massacre okay yeah yeah that sounds both, right both released in the same year what was that 74 72 74 74. 74. All right. Well, yep. So Toby, Toby Hooper and Bob, a Christmas story, Clark, uh, (laughs) very different people. Yeah. (laughs) Radically different people. (laughs) And it like, one is a Canadian movie. Another is like made in the deep heart of Texas. Josh, have you, have you seen black Christmas or Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I, I have seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I have not seen black Christmas, but I have listened to a podcast about black Christmas. So I'm, that's aware enough. Of the, I have, I'm aware of the premise. So, uh, the, should I give the, the summary of what these, these two movies are about, or would you like to go for it, man? So black Christmas is a, uh, it's set in a sorority house in, I think it's like the, it's before. I don't think it's quite Christmas Eve. Like it's 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 in a Christmas break has begun. Uh, so it's about a, about a bunch of sorority sisters and the den mother who have been receiving uh, very disturbing, threatening phone calls uh, throughout the movie, um, and are eventually uh, being so they're being stalked and threatened by phone call, and are eventually uh, being murdered by a 
a killer that we never see who just goes by the name of Billy, who has an incredibly disturbing voice, uh, who the only shot that we see is an eye at one. That's the only time we'll ever see his, his face is his eye. Uh, it is, it's inspired by like the urban legend of, again, the babysitter and the man upstairs. In fact, that phrase of the, like the call is coming from inside the house. I believe, don't quote me on this, but I think that like the most famous iteration is from here, Black Christmas. I think that's correct. I think so. Like, I think that that, this is the movie that, this is the movie that popularized that, like that trope of the, like he's inside the house. The killer is inside the house. I, I feel it to be true. I hope it's true. I, I think it's true. Um, it is. It is a. It's another. It is a formative film for the slasher genre. It's not quite fully formed as a. It has a final girl. It has a a cast of characters. They're being killed. A key aspect of this uh, that you see a lot of in early slashes is that these are not just like trope characters. These are people. Like these are written as like people, not just like blood bags for the slaughter they have like they're they're written to be characters that you either will like or dislike but they're written as people another sort of uh insider thing with the slasher genre is that you'll have people that will like you have like really good actors uh like genre actors either retired or current playing a lot of these roles along with sort of like more younger more inexperienced actors it's it, it's also notable that it's a movie that talks about like like uh it, it treats like from what i i remember it has been a minute since i've watched it but it's a movie that treats its like its its women protagonists with the modicum of like respect and dignity which you would not expect for a movie from the 70s yeah um and also portray I, if if it was described to me correctly it also uh portrays like male author authority figures as like spectacularly incompetent and unconcerned oh, yeah. yeah yes it, it portrays male authority as being uh, at best, uh, incompetent, and at worst, actively like malicious. It also like talked about like abortion, like oh, like talking like, and from like the woman's perspective mm. of that difficulty of like dealing with should this should I do this? Interesting. Like, there's like there's a lot of like interesting, like there's a lot of interesting stuff about this movie. It deserves its own deep dive. I think it is a very formative movie to the slasher genre and the horror genre in general. And I think it's just a general, like generally a good movie. It's, it's on my, you know, the ever growing watch list for sure. It should be also noted. It is not like, it's not gory. You'll notice with the early slashers, these aren't violent movies. Well, they're violent, but they're not, they're not like gratuitously violent. They're holding back certain things. No, yeah, yeah. They're very, they're very reserved. Well, that's a perfect segue into Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like that, that's a movie that's remembered as being much more gory than it actually is. You, you watch it. They tend to cut away before any impacts or any violence occurs on screen. And it does the the which is the best thing that any horror media can do. It lets your mind think what happens because your brain will always create something worse than whatever special effects genius will be able to to make and i say this as someone that like i i like my gore my horror movies i, I like my my greg nicoteros and uh you know I, I like my things i like my flies i i like i like my my you know my gross body horror gore 
but sometimes like that the implication does a hell of a lot more than what you see oh yeah 100 percent. that leads us now to texas chainsaw massacre released the same year very different like black christmas was a studio film texas chainsaw massacre was not nope <laughs> which i mean only adds to the the effect to the charm if you will so i i will uh i'll give a the intro to this by uh by the, the intro speech that uh um i forgot who exactly who said it um the the narrator for the movie was i think he did it like he was a friend of toby hooper and he did it as a favor to him and then it would go on to like be one of the most iconic like yeah. intros in film history and this guy is still working to this day amazing so i will not be able to do it justice but i will try to to give give a little something <clears throat> The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sar Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and the macabre as they were to see that day. For them an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This movie is fucking disturbing. It yeah. is, it is, <laughs> even though if you watch it, there's not a lot of gore, it is incredibly uncomfortable to watch. And that is purely on the art direction, the acting, and the sound design. No, yeah, it, it, it's unreal what they did with like comparatively little, because they this was a shoe a shoestring budget. It was they they were working on very little money. Uh, the sort of the the effects that they were dealing with the actual like set designs were often they couldn't afford like fake bones, so they used like real bones. Oh which, man, yeah. Uh, when you are using like real like uh, roadkill and car like carcasses. Uh, in the Texas summer, boy, it makes things smell real bad. For sure. <laughs> so the, the the plot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as as we sort of understand it, uh, is okay. It's not based on a real story. It did not literally happen, <laughs> but no, it is inspired by uh, the Ed Gein murder, uh, the the crimes of Ed Gein, who was not quite a serial killer, um, but what he did with dead bodies was a uh, real fucked up. And it would yep. inspire the sort of cannibal designs that you would see in the movie itself, the the people furniture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All the uh, the recovered artifacts. So basically, it follows um, Sally Hardesty, her brother Franklin, and a group of her friend of their friends are out to go, and uh, basically they're they're out in I forget which part of Texas they're in. Um, but they're they're going out to attend to uh, Sally and Franklin's grandparents' graves to see like have they been tampered with because there's been a lot of tampering of grave sites in this area of Texas. Uh, it's set during like the you know this is the height of the Vietnam War. Um, the there's a massive economic recession that's hitting everywhere. Things are not good. Like Toby Hooper said that his idea for this movie was that this is just a bad day on planet Earth. Like, this is just one really, really bad day. The radio is set, like, talking about that there's riots, 
there, there's race riots where people have been killed. There's been like a like a massive economic downturn. They, like uh, a character who's into astrology talks about like how certain certain like aspects of the planets are out are aligned for something really bad to happen. There there's implications that there's almost something cosmically bad is wrong with today. Yeah, man, we live in the Kali Yuga. <laughs> we live in the Kali Yuga. Kali fucking about... Yuga. Sorry. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's just been my. That, I think that's just going to be my new catchphrase. Just Kali fucking Yuga, dog. Cali you know fucking that, Yuga. You can you can have that as like in the episode distributor, just Cali fucking Yuga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so they're going to they're going to inspect the graves. And they they uh they stop by a gas station, a gas station slash barbecue joint, which is very Texas. Uh so they stop by there uh to to get some some food, get some gas. There's also like like, like gas prices are rising up like again, yeah. just a yeah. bad yeah. day on planet Earth. It's also, you can watch the film and just feel that it is unbearably hot. The film stock itself looks like it was deep fried, to be honest. It does. And I think that that's why the effect of Texas Chainsaw Massacre cannot be repeated, because it just, it looks like a documentary by how grainy the footage is. It looks like you're watching. I think that that's why it still remains effective, because there's something, there's a feeling of, I shouldn't be watching this. This feels too real like this is within the realm of possibility that this could be like a snuff video it it was like less stylized than a lot of the like you know especially compared to like giallo or something you know which, which is, is very, very stylized viv- yeah stylized vivid colors like stagey gore so they 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 run across uh their their another aspect of horror movies and the slasher movie sometimes not often this was more of an aspect of Friday the Thirteenth, which I love those movies, but they are they're 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 kind of dumb, but I like that they're dumb. <laughs> um, they're they're a work they're the they're the working class horror movie. Like you're here, I'm here to watch a man in a mask kill a bunch of stupid stupid teenagers. Real uh, what lunch pail nine to five? Uh... Yes, like I I'm here for one specific thing, and the movie delivers. It does deliver, so you probably won't feel unsatisfied. Yep, a lot of dead teenagers in that one. So many dead teenagers. Uh, so the and something that helped with this, that like again with these early slasher movies at this point right now, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, these feel like people. They don't feel like like they feel like seventies youths, quote unquote. Like they're kind of like they're dressed in like they're not quite hippies, but they're they're like in the style. They're like young. They're young people at the time, um, and they talk like people did then, too. They feel real. So they run across the hitchhiker, who tells them about uh, how uh, he used to work at a... Uh, he used to work at the slaughterhouse, um, but they've, uh, they've, they've been now replaced by the bolt gun that they use at slaughterhouses now. They don't use hammers anymore, they use bolt guns. So now there's been a whole aspect of of the working class that's just been you know shuttered off now this chance has a lot of deep political themes to it which again that's something which is worthwhile to its own deep analysis of the movie there have been papers written about it um go read them go watch them and maybe if josh ever wants to to do a deep dive analysis i'd be happy to come on yeah to uh for sure <laughs> to to do that but at the moment, there's. Yeah, I, I suppose there, there is a task a task at hand that we should. Uh, there uh, is, yeah. <laughs> so, the the hitchhiker has the, the yada yada, um, so that we can get to the to the actual main topic of the episode. 
Yep. Um, so, well, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we all know what happens. Like, uh, all, all, all these, uh, what, uh, Franklin gets killed, everybody gets killed except Susie. She escapes. Leatherface, right. waving the chainsaw in the middle of the road. Iconic closing shot. Uh, just the, the, the rapture of living to see another day as Susie speeds off into the sunset in that truck bed. Uh, just screaming, sim- just like laughing and crying, <laughs> covered in blood. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, just uh, one of the heights of American cinema, to be honest. Unironically, yes. It yes. Is. I think that it is one of the best <laughs> movies ever made, in my opinion. For Yeah, one, 100%. So that, that was released in 1974. These are like... Uh, they're, they're, again, we got, we, got, we got the killer, we got a cast, we got, uh, we got a final girl. But something still feels a little off. It's not quite, this isn't quite a full slasher movie yet. We have to wait a couple years to get to what would become the the fully realized slasher movie. And it's like, the thing that would define the template of the slasher movie, and it's John Carpenter's Halloween, released in 1977. Yeah, gotta put the music sting in here or something. Copyright and, 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 and this is where this is where we have the uh, that that iconic Halloween music. So da, 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 da. yeah, here's here's where I admit that I saw Halloween for the first time like a week ago in preparation for <laughs> this yes. this episode. Um, which is an even huger oversight because I'm like an avowed John Carpenter fan. Like he's legitimately one of my favorite filmmakers, and I had never seen Halloween. Which I think is weird for, for like, cause it's one of, like, his probably, like, that and The Thing are, like, The Thing, Escape from New York, and Big Trouble Little China. Like, those are, like, the, like, almost, like, highlights that people point out when they, you're first introduced to John Carpenter. So when you first told me that, I was like, wait, really? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, The Thing, The Thing got me. I'm a Thing and They Live person for the most part. With that respect, they live is amazing. Yep, uh, I love Escape from L.A. too. I, I um, I've got a real soft spot for late Carpenter. Um, there are some highlights. Man, yeah, the guy was just doing good work. Anyway, Halloween. It's uh, is is it the one he did write? What did he do? Just I should have his filmography I think or something. it was I think that it was Assault of Precinct 13 and then he did something else before, before Halloween. No, he didn't. No, it was Dark Star, Assault of Precinct 13, then Halloween. John Carpenter, Halloween. Um, slasher fully formed. This is it. This is the, the first slasher movie. I'm comfortable to say. Other people will, will, will probably we say uh, let me restate that. Other people would probably say that Texas Chainsaw is the first slasher. I still think that Halloween takes that mantle because it is it is where this sort of archetype is sort of fully brought in. Okay, I'm at, yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts on that cuz like now now that I think about it I can't meaningfully like what what distinguishes Halloween from from Texas Chainsaw Massacre? What what are sort of the key defining aspects for you? I am happy you asked. So, something that needs to be understood about the slasher genre. And I, I, I'm going to be pulling from uh, a, a resource which I've, I've greatly enjoyed. It's 
Stephen Graham Jones, My Heart is a Chainsaw, which is a slasher novel. I and there is, are Yeah, that's on my reading list for sure. It is it's very good. Um I'm not quite finished, uh, but because, uh, you know, life gets in the way. But I have been greatly joy- I read uh uh um The Only Good Indians, which is another fantastic slashers uh slasher novel that you should uh, everyone should go read. Um but there's some key aspects uh, that the book has these parts that are slasher 101, which sort of gives you like the lowdown of like, what, what's the slasher genre all about? Where are these, where are these things about this, this, uh, this, this sort of trash, trashy sort of medium that sort of defines it. So an aspect of the, the slasher genre that we really see fully formed here is the final girl as as we know the final girl is fully fully cemented uh with Laurie Strode with that the final girl is the good girl quote unquote she's the she doesn't go to parties she doesn't do this she doesn't do that she studies uh she's bookish she's timid she has good values uh to quote um this this part of the book the home by 930 good good big sister type that's that's the typical final girl. That that's Laurie Strode. Another aspect of of uh, of the final. I should also mention Carrie has a sort of has a uh, another revenge story. Has sort of like is another movie that is in the buildup of the slasher genre. I forgot to mention that. Okay. Yep. That that makes sense. Yes. Love Carrie. Carrie's very good. Um. You have a, hey, if if you haven't watched Carrie, go watch Carrie. That's a good one. Yeah. Go um, watch Carrie. It's really good. Yeah, I'd even say the um, the the Chloe Moretz uh, remake isn't half bad either. But uh, clearly, the the De Palma '70s original is uh, unsurpassable. Unsurpassable. But the remake is it's fine. It's pretty. It's actually it's even. I'd say it's also pretty good. Like it, it's it's an interesting update on the material. It's a good riff. It's a worthy yeah. carry adaptation. I will say. It's, it feels like it has a purpose to exist, which is, you know, I think that if you're a remake, you sh- that's the first thing that you should do. So within, sort of what defines the slasher genre for me, in, sort of in, embodied by, by Halloween, is that one is the blood sacrifice, in, uh, particularly here in Judith Myers in Halloween. Uh, so we should actually, let's, uh, Josh, since you watched it, uh, and this is, is sort of the whole thing with this. Give us a plot summary of, of Halloween. All right. So it, it begins in what? Haddonfield, Illinois. Middle America. Yep. Middle of America. Um, and young Michael Myers stabs his, uh, his older sister, um, for, for attempting sexual Congress with her boyfriend. Who I think he was like, he... <laughs> He, like, lasted a minute? Like, they went up there for, like, a minute that he came back down, like, zipping up his pants. Right, yeah, yeah, just, right, awful, awful teenage sex. Uh, so, yeah, he kills both of them, locked up, and he was, what, six years old? Discovered by his parents, holding a bloody knife. Like, just, like that scene was so good, like, like, pulling, like, his parents roll up, pull the clown mask that he has on, well, he's holding a big, bloodied, uh, like, steaks knife. Um, yeah. As, like, the camera pulls back with this. Like, he looks almost, like, shocked. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's not even sure what, what he did. Anyway, kid, yeah, yeah. The kid gets, uh, yeah, powerful imagery right out the gate. 
kids institutionalized, we go what twenty twenty years later. Twenty years. Twenty. Yep. Twenty years later. Uh, day of. Yep. So that was Halloween night, nineteen sixty whatever. Um, nineteen fifty whatever. I guess the, the years don't really matter. Uh, it happened twenty just years some, ago. Sometime in the sometime in the seventies, Michael's like now like twenty, twenty like nineteen twenty like young adult, very very young adult. Yeah, Michael Myers breaks breaks out. Uh, uh, Donald Pleasance has to track him down, uh, and and meanwhile it's it's Halloween night. There's not a parent in sight, and Laurie Strode is babysitting when Michael comes back to town. He comes back home. Uh, and and the bodies start hitting the floor. Uh, so the, the blood sacrifice, what is the, the blood sacrifice? So the blood sacrifice is, uh, it's the thing that starts off the, the whole, this, if you want to call it the tragedy of what's about to happen. Usually the blood sacrifice, a huge element of slasher genres is that these are very, they're almost like morality plays in how these things are. There's amb- there's moral ambiguity, but there's also the reason why these things happen is that there's a clear wrong that was committed. And I think Halloween is still still an early slasher because a clear wrong that was committed was that instead of babysitting or watching her, her younger brother, Judith Myers is off to have like, uh, one minute wonder sex with her boyfriend within the realm of the slasher. That's still something you like within the slasher story. You done fucked up, and when you done fucked up, someone is going to come to answer that fuck up. There's the author uh, of of uh, Heart, My Heart's a Chainsaw and the Only Good Indians uh, in an interview with GQ talked about that he he kind of thinks that the reason why the slasher genre has enjoyed sort of sustained popularity. And why that popularity is now sort of like rising again is that there's something about that there's almost like the uniform the universe has to have like an answer to a moral wrong that was done no matter how big or small that because we live in the time that we live where we watch people just get away with doing awful awful things clearly and there's face no consequences the idea that the universe just cannot abide that and that there has to be something that will Something will come and answer that consequence, no matter how big or small. There's something that appeals to that that like that justice fantasy of wanting what like a wrong to be answered. That's really good, and and honestly, why I wanted you to come on and talk about slashers <laughs> was this whole idea. Because um, yeah, like growing up evangelical, I mean, it, it, slashers very much have the sort of you know video nasty reputation you know they're they're artifacts of of uh cultural degeneracy um and depravity yeah there's i there's just something so much deeper going on there like it's not like there's the sort of prurient reasons reasons to watch it but uh yeah the justice aspect is just something that uh i'd, I'd never really encountered before and I mean, it, it, you kind of you kind of come across. I think one that really embodies that is Friday the Thirteenth, um, where you have Michael. As we'll get into, Michael is evil. There's nothing really. He's not. He's a human being in body only, and even then, that's kind of suspect and ambiguous. He is Michael is just pure evil, as almost like as an anthropomorphic shape. He just, he kills. Because there's no, there's not like a deeper psychological reason to to why, he just is, and that's what's scary. 
But with someone like Jason Voorhees, Jason was like a he was he was a mentally ill kid um, who had physical disabilities and was ru- like ruthlessly bullied uh, by children as, at a at the summer camp that he was at till they drowned him. Yeah, yeah, he was and, failed failed by the people who were responsible for him. And the ca- the counselors were were all fucking. They were, yep. they were out <laughs> off having sex, which that's another aspect of the slasher genre. It is not sex positive at all. No. <laughs> if if you are having sex in a slasher movie, you are not safe. This would go. This would evolve as the genre goes on, but definitely in the beginning. Uh, and that's another aspect is that uh, in this movie, um, Laurie's friends. Uh, uh, Linda and her boyfriend. Uh, I think it's Bob, the one with the glasses. Yeah, yeah. They're they go off and they have they have sex in someone else's house. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and like another Laurie's Laurie's friend who's also uh, the not the first person that's killed by by Michael. The first person that Michael kills once he escapes is the dude that has his the boiler suit that he uh, he steals. Ah, yep, yep. That's the first death. Um, but the second death is Annie. Annie, uh, Annie Brackett, who's a friend of, uh, of Laurie Strode. She's kind of a, like, she's similar to Laurie, but she's a bit more, a little bit more wild. Like, she, she smokes weed, and her, her dad's a sheriff. Her, her, dad, her dad is the top cop of the town, and she's, like, out ignoring lights and, and, uh, and, and smoking weed, because that's, I guess that's a benefit when your dad's a cop. Oh, yep, yep, you can get away with anything. And something you could probably speak to is that this this movie kind of speaks to there's there's an aspect of like something awful happening to a small town. Of like there's this disturbance. This is another big thing in the slasher genre, I think, is that there's a disturbance of normality of of the uh of of sort of your usual day-to-day by something just tremendously violent and awful is about to occur and you don't know it. Themes of like suburbia, we'll, we'll get to that, but like the part, the part with like the like the weird uh, Linda and Bob having sex at the at the house where Annie is babysitting. Um, at this point in the movie, Michael has since killed her. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the girl that she was babysitting, um, what was her name? I think Lindsay has been sent over to the te- like the house where it's like the house like right across the street where Lori is babysitting uh her kid Tommy Doyle. Yep. So Lindsay is there. Um uh Annie has been murdered by Michael who was go- originally going to be off to go procure her boyfriend um for the night of the birth of botchery that was going to happen at this house. Um uh Linda and Bob have their weird uh like sex in someone else's house. And Michael comes in and fucking kills both of them. Yep. Right after they have sex. <laughs> Perfect timing. Perfect. <laughs> the best timing. Yeah, that's he like he like stabs the guy and he pins him up against the wall, right? Like lifts him yeah, off his he feet. Does, that's yeah. where that's like the shot. Like, um, yeah, Halloween also not incredibly graphic. Yeah, that's another sort of what we've been. I think that we've been sort of pushing so far is that these early slasher movies and even the first sort of properly fully formed slasher movie are not gory yeah they were more yeah suspenseful or thrillers or more yeah uh classic horror constructions they weren't uh 
you know the the corn syrup soaked shit doesn't really well i mean that was there were always gore films but i mean that doesn't really become like standard in horror till the 80s yeah like when you get to like the late 70s early 80s that's when you get like the the full on like like corn syrup drenched uh gore but so far like these movies are not incredibly violent well uh, again they are violent but yeah 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 people are... like teenagers are getting killed with a butcher knife like i mean <laughs> it's a violent film <laughs> it's like like a teenager gets like gets strangled to death one gets like impaled with a butcher's knife like he gets like implanted into the wall of the kitchen yeah uh, another is like choked out with like the phone cord as like Lori listens to her die. Oh yeah. Uh. These are like <laughs> it is, the, and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre is God. You don't even need to describe what happens to those characters. Right. In that yeah. One. <laughs> but it's like all I mean, like right? Yeah. It it isn't to say that awful shit isn't depicted, but it's not. The camera cuts away. Like it is more suggestive than than not and something to to sort of keep in mind with halloween is that a lot of the violence is cast in shadow you don't see a ton of it i think there's one the most graphic shot in the movie is probably when like laurie stabs michael in the eye with the clothing with the clothes hanger yeah pretty much but every everything up like leading up to that has been all implication which is good because it it also builds the threat of michael who has been basically stalking laurie this entire period of time like this is a, a a neat thing that carpenter does is that if you look in the shot in a lot of the shots sort of like preluding to michael's uh night of of, of chaos on halloween night you see him in the background he's somewhere there yeah yeah <laughs> he's either like creepily standing just out of the eyes uh like just out of the eyes view and then if you focus he's gone or he's driving around Another aspect of the of of uh of the slasher movie is the slasher cam is the first person perspective of the mm. killer. And you see that for the first time here in Halloween. That definitely felt like an innovation for sure. And then from there that would go on to define um the, the slasher genre. There's something like like you killer cam is a is is in almost every slasher movie in some form or another. Of seeing the killer's perspective. After that, I mean, you you have the conventions nailed down. It's all about your set pieces and your kills, and you know the the killer cam is an element of that. Like it's it's building exactly. the language, yeah. Uh, you also have uh, so that's that's the the second thing that you need at slasher movie, which this one has. You didn't really have in you had that in, in Black Christmas. You didn't really have it in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The adults are fucking useless. Yeah. <laughs> With the exception in Halloween of uh, of of course our our savior of the movie, uh, the ignoble uh, Samuel Loomis, played by Donald Pleasant. I think that aspect of the movie was the most striking. Was like the relative absence of like adults in general. Like there was just kind of Doctor Loomis and the sheriff, but then no parents whatsoever. Like it's just teens and children in houses which is another aspect that it, it of the movie is that there's a vulnerability there's a there isn't these authority figures that are gonna keep you safe and even the ones that are trying to that 
you have Donald Pleasant's the only one who believes of like the adults shown in the movie that like believes the danger of Michael Myers. Yeah. The you have the nurse that he's with, but she she's dealt like with that uh she's out of the movie like right out of the uh out of the gate when Michael like pulls her out of the car to steal the car from her. Where they're like at the beginning where they're coming to transfer him. Yeah. Uh and then there's like the I, I don't think he's named, but he's the guy who's running the uh the the, the mental institution where Michael is. And he just fully just disregards Michael as a danger. The only and the sheriff does at first too. The only person that like believes the danger that is coming is Donald Pleasance. Well, because he knows it. <laughs> yeah, he's been you know. There's that that particularly famous speech um, that he has in the movie that of like why he, how he knows what Michael is that he's pure evil that there's nothing behind those eyes but. You know, the the blackened eyes, the devil's eyes. I mean, you yeah. can even maybe like, the he's there's like that speech is iconic because it 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 does a lot with with like he's just like a killer uh like murdering babysitters, but there's something about that speech which makes him seem almost a cosmic evil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a an uh, unstoppable force. There was a there was a good. So I haven't seen. So I've seen Halloween. I have not seen any of the sequels, um, but I did read a really interesting review of Hollywood, oh. Hollywood, or Hollywood. Oh my God, Halloween Kills, <laughs> the most recent release, uh, the yeah. the second in the the David Gordon Green. Which I another thing, I love David Gordon Green. I love Danny McBride and all those like you know Chapel Hill guys, Jody Hill. Like love all of them. Haven't seen the Halloween movies. Like just no interest yet. But anyway review of uh halloween kills and how it sort of perversely delivers on the promise of the ending of the original halloween like it is truly uh michael myers becoming a god and that's that's the thing like halloween kills is i like halloween kills i i i like the new the david gordon green halloween movies um especially halloween 20 uh that was 2018 um that was a really really good one um the halloween sequels are a mess uh of different timelines and uh (laughs) yeah like there's a aspect of like there's a celtic pagan cults that michael is like a a it's the curse of thorn trilogy where mike the reason why michael is what he is is that there's a pagan cult that every couple hundred years they pick a uh they pick a family to to terrorize that they will to uh to bring about evil in the world and the the firstborn's the the, the male child is going to be turned into the supernatural killer where he's going to be made to <laughs> like to, for the blood sacrifice to happen. He has to kill his family kid, which means that he has to kill. This is a big part of the movie of the, of these later movies is that Laurie Strode is Michael's sister. So Michael has to go kill either Laurie, his daughter, or someone who is related to the, to the Myers family. Oh, wow. It's so dumb. It is so dumb. <laughs> it is. It's an example of overly explaining something that not that did not need to be explained. No, yeah, and and so that's kind of why I, I I like sitting in ignorance and just having like the my only impression of Halloween is just the original text right now. Like I'm I'm clean. You're uh, clean. You don't. You are not tainted <laughs> by the sequels um, that have like there's Halloween too. Which is where, oh, hey, Laurie, that's actually his sister. 
Okay. Uh, um, but, okay, so I think maybe we should try and think about winding down here, but I think I, there's something I want to stick with and maybe explore a little bit. Um, yeah. Is the idea of Michael as as a shape or a force or a god um, and why he comes to being in the suburbs in the Midwest specifically. Uh, yes. You know, what, what does Michael Myers embody about suburban America in the latter half of the 20th century? I think we had sort of what led to, to you watching Halloween and sort of like this episode was us talking about like me sort of like if we're sort of talking to you about Halloween and this, that, to me, Michael is the is he is evil coming out of the suburb. He is this because suburban white America they fear what's outside of the of their safety net of this this area which they that has been sectioned off as being safe. There's nothing bad that's going to happen inside. Outside, that's where the danger is. But Michael was born in the he was he was born there. That's his home. But that's where the evil came from. It came from, you know, the it came from within. That the danger for the suburb, for white suburban America, is not sort of like what is outside. It came inside, and there's nothing. And it's interesting. You can make a sort of an interesting analysis that they try to almost deny that it happened. That this awful incident. Of, uh, of this little kid just murdering his sister for no reason happened, but they can't. It doesn't want to go away. They are made to face that this evil that came from inside this, this uh, you know, the suburban white community, it's it, it's not going away, no matter how much they try to hide it. Right, he's, he's the return of the repressed. Exactly, yeah. To put it in vulgar Freudian terms, but I mean, it, <laughs> it, it fits, like... I mean, that's the thing about vulgar Freudianism. Like, I mean, it, 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 like, you can't go wrong using it as, you know, a hermeneutic to deal with, uh, American suburbia. Like, there's just nothing subtle about it. No. And I mean, American suburbia does lend itself well to that because it it does, uh, a key aspect of it is, uh, is sort of like that repression. Yep. Right, and sort of, you know, structuring everything around a very white, patriarchal family arrangement uh, that is explicitly authoritarian. Um, Related, unrelated, like, bear with me here. This is going to feel like a wild tangent. Um, okay, I'm, I'm for it. Let's do it. But, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it in for a landing, and that's going to be extra funny when you realize what I want to talk about here. Um, so okay. I've been reading, <laughs> I spent the day at work uh, reading um, a Pathios blog about the left behind books. And it kind of goes, okay. it's, it's page by page analysis, but it's by a progressive evangelical guy. And it's like a pretty good read on it. Like it calls out all like it, it's a good read on the fact that it's like mostly a cash grab and it's a good read on, you know, the sort of psychology of LaHaye and Jenkins. Um, it's, it's incredible. Uh, you know, good topical political stuff from the time. Like it's just a good work of, uh, 
analysis in a blogging format. I mean, it's not serious scholarly work by any means, but that's it's it's more than left behind deserves. But it's uh, I don't. He does refer to them as the most evil books ever written, and he builds a very good case for it. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is um. He refers a lot to the uh, the warped sexuality of Rayford Steele, uh, the main the, one of the two lead characters of Left Behind, and and uh, how he's got that like Madonna whore complex all over the place. Like you know, there's so like like the Left Behind books themselves are just you know like like conspicuously sexless. Well, that's a thing with with uh with like conservative christian fiction and media is that they really don't like to acknowledge that like like that sex is a thing that exists yeah yeah so rayford like he the first part of the book is him like being guilty about this like not quite affair he's sort of contemplating having with like a stewardess that works on his plane um and of course his wife disappears and he gets left behind and so he's just you know, he's like, ah, my, my saintly wife, who I did not appreciate while she was here, uh, meanwhile. Um, but he just goes, so in this these blogs, he just goes on to elaborate on how, like, you know, this it's this fundamental fantasy of, like, you know, controlling other people and then, uh, but but still getting off on his own sort of, like, you know, moral code and superiority. Like, it's completely a narcissistic game and, like, you know, even points out how he disregards all of this horrific suffering around him. Uh, you know, as he like lands a plane on the tarmac at O'Hare and, and there's just like burning wreckage and dead bodies everywhere, but he just sort of like stoically walks to the terminal and doesn't help or anything. Um, and then, and, and, and he's, and, and then he hitches a helicopter ride to Naperville, um, which is, yeah, a Chicago suburb. Famously very diverse places, the Chicago suburbs. Right. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I just thought that was like a good, a good illustration of just like the exact texture of patriarchal fantasy that the suburbs are built on. And that like, like a figure like Michael Myers is a response to. So <laughs> I don't know I what think, we want to no, do I, with that. I, I think, I think <laughs> I agree. I think, I think I see where you're, you're coming. Like there's, because that type of, that type of dude is the dude that Michael just kind of stabs without thinking. Like, that is the kind of if Michael was in left behind, he probably would have killed him like before he got to the plane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I, I see what you mean in that. Like this is this kind of like he epitomizes like that, that the strong, uh, w the strong white male head of the household. That's stiff, stiff upper lip that, uh, that keep as, as the world is literally falling apart. Um, and sort of epitomizes like those those uh like the themes of like white conservative masculinity. Yeah, right. I mean, so so like the you know the whole sales pitch for the suburbs is like, oh, it's a great community to like protect and raise your family in. But you know the the fantasy isn't promoting the flourishing of the family; it's domination and control of the family. <laughs> right. Like that's, it's, you know, you know, and I, I love how Halloween like portrays, you know, the suburbs is like, you know, very isolated and quiet and deserted, you know, and, you know, all that, you know, these are supposed to be signifiers of why it's so such a safe place. But that's exactly how like Michael can 
kill five people unchallenged. Yeah, like it's wild to think that like five people in this in in the movie uh, timeline, sort of going off of the current canon, which is the 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 twenty twenty, uh, David Gordon Green, sort of uh, that that timeline. This night, Michael kills five people. Like that is. Like, five people in the suburbs is a fucking big deal. Like, that's yeah, a big yeah. deal when that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's the news cycle for a year, you know? And he's, and again, he's from there. He was born there. He was a part of, like, the, but then, like, they, they, they he, he killed his sister. They, they thought they did away with him. They thought that he was, that he was gone forever in, in the, that mental institution. But he came back. Like, it's, like... It's wild to think that within the context of, of within the internal Halloween universe, like in Haddonfield, this probably just was the thing that shadowed it for decades. Like that five teenagers were murdered uh, all on Halloween night and no one, there's nothing to stop it except a British man with a handgun. Right. <laughs> and a, another like Laurie, Laurie Strode is a big part of this movie. Um, I, I would argue that I think the biggest thing that defines a final, final girl is not like that she's bookish, that she's sort of like good and virtual and all that. I don't think that that's what defines a final girl. I think what defines a final girl is the resolve is of like this, like sheer determination to make it to the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Survival, survival instinct, keeping your wits about you. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no reason the final girl herself has to be a figure of repression. She's... The final girl is just as much a subject of patriarchal dominance as uh, oh yeah yeah as Michael Myers ever was or I mean you we don't see anything about Michael's father but he I mean, he could have been like uh, Michael's dad could have been like who's the left behind protagonist name again what was it yeah Rayford Steele well I mean well that considering considering <laughs> I know oh yeah no no it's a porno name um <laughs> God yeah but no ooh yeah yeah so this is probably a bad a bad thing to bring up at the at this stage in the game but like okay so Michael Myers comes on the scene like it's you know tw- twenty years so it's like the fifties sixties like that that first period of like real suburban ex- post-war suburban expansion you know michael's dad probably a world war ii vet you know what if probably. he was you know what if he served in the marines in the pacific what kind of what kind of photos and trophies does he have you know uh keeping, michael saw yeah keeping you know that's uh that's fucking um ed kemper his dad was a veteran like yep. had, had a lot of had a lot of paraphernalia and and photographs from the pacific theater uh uh, Richard Ramirez, Night Stalker. His his cousin was a Vietnam vet, and had. That's another thing. That repression is also like you know the violence of imperial conquest coming home to roost. So it's not only the the necessary consequences of the patriarchal will to dominate. It's also the consequences of like you know uh, being uh, slaughtering foreign people for your country uh, and learning to enjoy it. And that slaughter then comes back to home. Like it, that kind of it doesn't. That it, and again, that kind of you, one could even argue that maybe this is a part of like that cosmic balancing of scales is that so there was some kind of injustice that Michael's dad did out abroad, something, and thus the the balances the the the, the scales had to tip. They had to. They were out of balance, and they had to be rebalanced. And so Michael became what he did. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, he filled yeah, he he just he just became the the natural conclusion of that entire project. So so I think this actually gives us a pretty interesting frame to kind of like I don't know, maybe it's a failed project to begin with. Like I don't want to say like slashers will ever be sex positive, but like I mean if you look at sort of the it's a moment of vulnerability rather than being punished for I think well the something to keep in mind is that slashers are are still going on. They're they're still like a thing that still exists. And the most recent one, uh like we had we just had like the Scream, uh a Scream sequel just came out. There's the Fear Street movies that have come out, which are takes on the uh on the slasher genre, very good ones. You got the slasher show, uh, you got the Candyman came out recently, the sequel to uh to that you have uh you get there was that Texas Chainsaw sequel that came out, which is fucking dog shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard extremely mixed things on that. Uh, not good. Uh, there you have uh, like there's um, there's a t- like the slasher genre is kind of now like it's almost like in vogue. It, oh, Halloween Ends is coming out this year too. The end of that that oh, trilogy. Oh, that's right. Okay, okay. So that is coming out. All right. So maybe I gotta. Ch- uh, Child's Play is is back. Uh, there was uh, like there's there's a top like the 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 slasher genre is kind of back a bit and that the sex i think that there is a, such a thing as like a sex positive slasher a key thing to look at that is probably fear street um which has like it's lots of queer characters in that um and it has like that it, it doesn't have that like sex in of itself leads to uh like leads to death though so that is played on at some points because look it's a trope in the genre sometimes you play it straight right right <laughs> but I think something like that, there's a, like, there's almost like a kind of sex positive, like something that's kind of seen in Candyman, which, uh, have you seen Candyman? I haven't. I haven't. That, that's another, that's, another oh, big that's blind another spot. That's, 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 oh, that's a good, uh, so I, I won't go into too much detail, but there's in the two Candyman movies, the, well, the Candyman and then the recent one that came out, there is definitely an aspect of like vulnerability of like that there's like being a safe haven and also i'll say that in the the book uh um uh the only good indians there is an aspect of like intimacy being like a safe haven away from the horror that uh, with someone that you care about like someone like someone that you that you care about that means something to you there like that that lone sort of like light in the darkness that is beginning to emerge now, is it always going to be that way? No. Uh, in the book, uh, something real bad happens to right. that light. Uh, but, but it shouldn't be... It sh- I, I think that like that like sex equals death in slashers is not always the case. Uh, in Halloween, even, um, that's not always the case. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't... I was expecting it to feel a lot meaner than it did, and it... it, it I don't know. There was there was sort of a basic empathy for all the characters and the sort of frankness about the situation. That uh... and that that actually that comes from um, uh, that uh, I forgot what's her name that uh, that co-wrote the movie with with uh, with John um, Deborah Hill. Ah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, she co-wrote like Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, and Escape from L.A. Oh, sick. Yeah, she she co-wrote these movies. She was a producer of these movies, and she was the what she particularly like. She wrote the dialogue for all of the female characters. That's why they feel like people. Is that she was like that? She was the 
and I kind of think that she's an unsung hero of of the Halloween genre of the of the slasher genre in the Halloween movies because she made these characters feel like real people. Were some of the characters annoying? Yeah, like how there's annoying people. Yeah, but they felt genuine. Like they felt like real real people, and she was writing them as like real teenagers and giving them like that baseline empathy, even though. Michael is killing these people. I think that something that separates Halloween from from some other more schlocky slasher movies is that I think that all horror movies should have it that you like the protagonists. You like the people that you're following and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. And I think broadly, at least I don't know if this is your opinion, but I didn't really want anything bad to happen to like the the group at Halloween. They didn't do anything to, no, to Yeah, like... no, they're just they're just kids. <laughs> they're kids. Yeah, they're just kids. This is going to be a bummer note to end on, but I mean it's <laughs> I think this all like I mean it describes a real process that <laughs> that happens like you know the the violence inherent in, in the suburbs is always going to come back and it's always going to hit the most vulnerable the hardest spree shooting school shooting that's that's an epidemic now like we don't even yeah. flinch at another one of those happening we don't i i won't state my i i come from i'm of the gen z variety and school shootings are just kind of like normal uh, like that it was uh, like the 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 drills that you go through for if there's an active shooter event there that uh there being posters about like that like the columbine has sort of like the legacy of columbine and school shootings have weighed on a generation i think it's spree killings have also weighed on like i think that like mass violence is is kind of something which we've been normalized to and i think that you you can find something to flash with that yeah, I mean it's these are <laughs> it's out there and I mean like we we live in an you know obscenely violent society and I mean sometimes it takes violent and grotesque art to kind of to deal with living here. <laughs> yeah, like, like it, uh, I yeah, I mean it yeah, it gives voice to like real shit that's that's happening. Yeah, it's it it doesn't this I think something that people forget is that art is not created in a vacuum. There, the environment does inform the art, and I think that the fact that Halloween came out of came out of one Jack Car Carpenter is a very cynical man. Uh, yeah, even yeah. Though he's been a cynical <laughs> old man his whole life. Okay, and it came from one John Carpenter, uh, who he grew up in like the he didn't grow up in the Midwest. I think I think he grew up in wait no in Kentucky in segregated Kentucky. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, which he he said he hated. He did not like Kentucky. Um, and so he, ha I think that he has a particular animosity to that kind of thing, of like presenting the gr like presenting a face of normality when nothing is the the this isn't normal. That and there's, there's there's something about like I, I think like there's something, I think that the slasher genre has been given a bad shake, not entirely un uh, unfairly because there's a lot of trash, and I love that trash, mind you, but there's a lot of it. No, it's true. No, they're like, yeah, going back to the the original, I mean, you could you could slap an A24 logo over like if you just put a different score and a different title, A24 logo over it, you could sell it as elevated horror today. Which like, I, I mean, don't like not, that. I, I don't yeah. like that word. No, no, it's terrible. I don't like it either. But I'm just saying, like, if we're, <laughs> you know, if, oh, if, yeah, if people yeah. if if people are trying to, like, say it's an aesthetic, like, OK, yeah. 
it's been around forever. There's nothing like particularly. Yeah, no, there should there. <laughs> I acknowledge no high low distinction in horror. <laughs> I I kind of think all all horror can be elevated horror, if we want to use that dumb term. <laughs> but no, like, but there's it's... nothing wrong with just horror. Yeah. I, I think there there's always been a shame that wants to be associated with it. I don't that's there there shouldn't be because you can you can tell there are in all of these movies, I think, even the kind of dumb ones, there's there are deeper themes to them. And I think when you're trying to make art, even if it's art that you you're just making for the for a paycheck, you do you should put something of there is some bit of soul in it. You know? Yeah, Carpenter channeled something, and I mean, yeah, I don't <laughs> don't really want to like split hairs about authenticity, but that's yeah, that's about as you know authentic a filmmaker as you can hope for at that budget level at that period in time. Um, and it was just like I guess we'll end this with this thing was a success. Like, it was a massive success. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's if a I... reason it yeah like like birthed a genre basically or a subgenre. This was for three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it was three. They made this thing for three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> oh my god, that is peanuts these days. Even then, mm. that was nothing too. And like, even, even even right, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Like that is, I think, like the only time where three hundred thousand dollars would be a lot for a movie would be like what, like the twenties or thirties. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's impact is seismic. There's still all all kinds of imitators. They're still making, you know, main entries in the series today. Like, yeah, it's still it's still relevant. Shit. If you show someone Michael Myers, they know who it is. Yeah. Just like Darth Vader. Exactly. Like he's he's become an iconic American uh pop culture icon. Which, which you can there's there's and also like something which I think is uh with the hot with Ed is that the slasher genre needs a slasher. It needs an iconic villain. Some like it, the antagonist who's going to be driving this, uh, driving the plot of the movie or the, or whatever the story of, of the slasher genre, you need an iconic antagonist in some kind of like get up, either a mask, a hood, something, something which is, and with Michael, it's uh it's a very he he has the devil's eyes there's nothing there but blackness it's just a white face with black eyes that is this force that no matter what you do is just coming back to middle america and there's uh he's coming back to middle america he he's the evil that was born out of middle america that's coming back home and there's nothing that can, that can stop him hell yeah i don't i don't, i love that he's the shape and it's just like a white guy just a white guy yeah like that's 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 the face of evil just a white guy he's just (laughs) he's just like a white dude that's it yep (laughs) that's and i think that's something genius the halloween does is that and that's something that the horror genre has has uh as the slasher genre has sort of gone on has sort of got their ways that they want to give the killers like disfigurements and you know which has lots of ableist uh or just like the uh, undertones or like, yeah, or the deep lore, the traumatic backstory, and like the the point is like like villains villains aren't born, they're made. <laughs> you know, except uh, Michael. Michael except was the implication. Michael was, he just is. He just is right, this yeah. way. 
He's it's I think that that's also a fear that you could apply to. You could speak. Is there like there's a fear of not being able to control something within sort of like white patriarchal evangelical America. Oh, yeah. The obsession is with control for sure. They there's nothing that they could. He just is there. You they could. There's nothing that could control it. Anyway, watch some slashers. Watch slashers. Slashers are like, uh, go go watch some slashers. Uh, I, I, I can, can I recommend some slashers for for recommend some slashers. Might not be to to uh, if if you're interested if, if this sort of discussion of like the deeper lore of slashers that they're they're not just uh like grindhouse movies watching teenagers getting murdered. But it's not just like for the body count though. That is a big aspect of it. I won't lie. Uh, and a fun aspect of it, if if you're a horror fan, but uh, there are also things that you can think about. That I think that have have been given a bad shake, and I think that they have a lot of deeper things to say. And I think that the slasher genre itself is something that is very interesting, and also just aesthetically, I think pretty cool. So, to start out with, you should watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's it's a classic. If you haven't, it's a classic piece of American cinema. If you haven't seen it yet. The fuck are you doing? Listen to this podcast. Go watch it, then come back. Yep, co-sign that. Uh, Halloween uh, by John Carpenter. Uh, I would also recommend uh, Candyman from the nineties. Uh, the and the recent Candyman sequel, which I think are both genius movies, um, and also are the first movies that had a black antagonist in horror and a black slasher as well. Ah, yeah. Which that's a whole other other thing of, of like race and slashers, which as a as a man as a person of color has a lot of that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, um, <laughs> um hey, uh, no black person dies at Halloween, but that's because there are black people in the movie. Uh, yep, Lily White suburb, woo! But yeah, it's a it's a Lily White suburb. There's not going to be. I think the black guy might be the garbage man. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so watch Halloween, watch, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, watch Candyman, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, that's a great one, um, that's more of a supernatural slasher, which is a whole other sort of venue, um, and the Friday the 13th movies are fun, they're genuinely really, really fun, um, slasher movies that are kind of like the dumbest version of the slasher but you will have a genuinely good time uh watching michael myers fantastic adventures as he tries to get these fucking kids off of his lawn of camp yeah. Crystal Lake. <laughs> uh watch the fear street movies uh the trilogy that's on um that's on netflix they're pretty good i like the second one the best but overall they're all pretty pretty good like deconstructions and reconstructions of the genre but you should watch those later watch some of the classic ones first of halloween texas chainsaw uh scream 2 watch watch scream that's a really good one yeah scream's great uh, it's great it's uh these are these are these are really really good the scream movie i I think all the scream movies even the bad ones like are, are really good yeah they're yeah they're a good time i have seen I think with the exception of some of the more recent ones in the TV show, I have seen at least four Scream movies. They are the TV show. Also watch the TV show. It's good. Like it's a, it's, it's a surprisingly like, it is a surprisingly well-written show with like teenage protagonists and a fun slasher story and mystery story. Ooh. 
Okay, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that's that's my that's a, that's my intro list for for if you you want to get into to the slasher genre, watch some of this stuff, um, and then then you can get to some of them, some of the more obscure. Um, yeah, yeah, get to I, uh, what like your your sleepaway camps, your 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 nexts. Your there's a lot out there, folks. Um, there, there's a lot, and you know what? They're good. They are good, and they have something to say too. May not be clear what they're trying to say, but they are trying to say something. No, there, there, there is usually something trying to be expressed in all these things. All right, Jackal, where can the people find you? You could follow me at Jackal Jester on Twitter.com. I also uh, co-host a, uh, a Christian leftist podcast called Mammonberg. Uh, it is a unfocused uh unrelentingly random sh- shit show it is it, the, the <laughs> conceit of this show at the beginning of it was what if christian come town so yeah <laughs> basically that we are trust me though we are we we're more focused and we also have some pretty deep topics too uh that are we, we take the deep serious topic seriously and try to approach it with a place of empathy and try to approach christianity from a place of Christianity from a place of like leftism where like we're we're trying to view it like I'm proud of my religion because it is a means of liberation and not a means of oppression. Sort of like wanting to take that back. Yeah, yeah. Mammonberg is great. It's a great show. Yeah, surprisingly good episode on Ukraine recently. Uh <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have been doing good work. It's uh yeah, Thank the show's you. really the show's really coming into its own. So, yeah, check out Mammer Mammonberg, Mammonberg, follow Jackal. Uh, I'm Josh. This is Odd Splice. We're out. Bye. Thanks for listening to Odd Splice. Be sure to visit oddsplice.com for all of your Odd Splice needs, and don't forget to rate and review the show wherever podcasts are sold. Thanks, everyone.